We're talking about navigating strange days, and, and, and that's kind of the culture we're in right now. And, and today we're going to specifically talk about something that, that I believe really has been a problem with the, uh, with the church, the, the church with a capital C, the church of Jesus. It's been a problem uh, with God's people before Christ came. We, we encounter it after Christ came, and that's just an issue of, of oneness. Oneness has always been an issue in the body of Christ. It, it always has, and, and that, that's not going to change till the sky splits either. Today, we're going to talk specifically uh, about, uh, let me show them the title so I can remember how I wrote it. There we go. Where God's people fail when times get tough. We're going to talk about, this is one of those issues where God's people fail when times get tough. Now, we're going to, I'm going to do something today. I'm going to go, in, we're, going to, we're going to be in Romans. We're also going to be in Ephesians. And the rest of the verses I've got up there for you, because there's, there's a lot of scriptures tied around oneness. So if, you, if, you're, if you've got a Bible, and man, I really hope you do. I always ha- hope you have a Bible, a paper, and a pen, because the Lord's going to speak to you in the music, or somebody prayed, or he's going to speak to you. And so I hope you're ready for him to, to speak to you. Romans. 15 is where we're going to be, and we're going to be in Ephesians 4. In fact, we're going to be in Ephesians 4 first. And so let me give you a couple examples. I'm just going to give you a couple historical examples just to prove my point that, that oneness has always been tough. This is a really cool picture of, of the, the castle at, at Marburg, I think is, is, is how they refer to it. Um, Martin Luther started the, the Reformation, and, and so him and a man named, I can't ever pronounce this, it starts with a Z. I am from the South. Any name that has multiple consonants, I'm going to butcher it, okay? But I can tell you it's something like Zwingli is how we always said it. And so, so him and Luther got in a big debate. In those days, they had councils like... Theology really mattered, you know, even more so than it does today. And they would meet together, have these big councils. And Luther actually believed, Martin Luther, the man that started the Protestant Reformation, he actually believed when you, when you, start, when you took communion, when you actually took the bread and the cup, it actually became the actual body of Christ. He really did believe that, and that's, not, that's a, a, a widely held belief in, in some denominations, and, and, and if you re, if, for those of you that geek out on that kind of stuff, the word for that is transubstantiation. Spell that, and I'll give you a donut, um, but it's called transubstantiation, and, and there's, a, there's, there's a lot of people that, that, that they believe it's a mystical thing, uh, you know, but so Luther was in this debate, and this big council was there, and Zwingli was arguing with him on this, and they're trying to get to the bottom of it, and so Luther took... The, the story goes that Luther took a piece of chalk and he wrote, this is my body. He wrote that. This is my body. And, he, and so every time Zwingli would, would try to pull him off that, they, some stories say he had a knife. That, that's, an inter, that's an interesting meeting. When, when somebody in your sales meeting has a knife and they want to prove a point, that might be a good chance to take a day off or just leave at that moment. But uh, it, some say it was his fist, some say it was a knife. And every time he would try to pull the, 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 the conversation back, Luther would bang the table on this is my body. This is my body. And in it, he was so emphatic about it. So that's just been something that historically was a, a dividing point, you know. And well, let's get out of that age. I'm just going to take you into to my career in ministry. I, started, I preached my first sermon in 1990, so I started in ministry that year. And, and, um, and when I was coming up through ministry... Man, probably the biggest issue in the body of Christ was what we refer to as the worship wars. Um, I mean, the worship wars, 
For those of you that are maybe in your 20s or early 30s, or maybe if you didn't grow up in church, I am telling you, this was ripping churches apart for decades. Uh, in fact, when I was in seminary, I, I had a, I, almost every week in a class, somebody would say, hey, pray for the church I'm going to. We're in the church split. I mean, it was almost constantly that way. And the split was over. Over, do we sing the, the hymns of old or the songs of new? And my, my response to that was always, you know, How Great Thou Art was a new song at some point in human history. You know, nobody ever seemed to like that when I said that. And, uh, but, but, you know, it, it wasn't just, it was a great song, but it wasn't, you know, born with the book of Genesis or something. And, you know, but the, the worship wars were always something. Um, I remember one time in the church I served this guy. He was not, he was like a little bit older than me, not that much older than me. And this was years ago. And he was, he, he, he had an aneurysm when we put uh, drums in the church. I mean, he lost his mind. Right? And, and I said, I said, man, what, what is the big deal? He said, because those things are in the honky-tonks. And I said, so's a piano. You know, I, and, I mean, a piano is too. Um, I'm like, I don't. And he, and he, he just stood there. I'm like, I said, why don't you just say you don't like it? I can take that. Just don't make it spiritual because you'll lose. Turn to Psalm 150. We need a way bigger band. Harps, lyres. Accordions, we need, well, we got the accordion somewhere, but worship wars were just pulling churches apart, man. Um, it was a bad time in the body of Christ. It, I mean, it, was, I'm, for, it lasted probably 15 years. I mean, it was brutal. Uh, pastors were losing their jobs left and right. Uh, it was something. And then I saw, and, and the, I, I could probably pick 3,000 topics. I mean, we're talking about, the, we're talking about listen, when you, get, when you get a group of people in a room, you've got, if you've got 20 people, you've got 42 opinions, right? I mean, you just do, and, and that's hard. But I started to notice another trend, and, and probably, I don't, I can't tell you when it started, I just can tell you when I noticed it. And one, one of the things I noticed is probably in the 1990s, early 2000s, you started seeing political issues, uh, evangelical politics, really, like the Constitution and the Bible, so to speak, right? I started noticing in the 90s that, that God and country got strangely blurred in the church, and and it's, it's, I don't know how else to say it. Um, I, I've heard people say, um, I've heard many people say over my years of preaching that uh, politics should never be in the pulpit. And, I'm, and, my, and in, I don't say it out loud. I have some measure of filter. But in my head, I'm like, well, you've obviously never read the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament's full of the prophet having to confront the king. The New Testament is full of Jesus trying to help people navigate. And, and politics, and, and, you know, let me tell you something. Let me tell you about my, my aim. My, my aim in, in modern day preaching is helping you navigate the issues. And truthfully, I really believe I'd be a lousy excuse for a pastor if all I did was keep it safe and try to keep you right down the middle of the road. Because pretty much all that lives in the middle of the road are dead armadillos and dotted yellow lines, Right? And, and so, I, but it gets tricky. It gets tricky when you talk about modern day issues. But let me tell you, I want you to learn how to biblically navigate what you encounter in the marketplace, in the schools, in parenting. I want you to know, and sometimes that's going to get tricky. It got a little tricky like last week. Um, let me tell you, uh, you know, no, no, by the way, nobody sent me nasty emails. Um, no, no, that, that hasn't happened. Um, but the thing about my job is... Um, 
You know, when you make a mistake in your work, a lot of times people don't see it, maybe so the CEO. I'm kind of like the third baseman. You know, when the third baseman fumbles a, a ground ball, well, the first thing he does is what every good baseball player does. He looks at his glove, you know. Don't you notice that? I love how when somebody hits the ball, I used to tell my sons, don't, it's not your glove's fault. Right? But it's the best go-to for all of you that are coaching, going to be coaching your kids. Teach them. Look at the glove and like, what, what, what happened right there? I don't you know. When I, make, when, when, I, when, I, when I make errors, you know, I get, everybody gets to see it. And, and, and so last week, I, I think I, I'm wondering if, if I may have confused some of you guys. I was, uh, and if I did, I'm, I'm super sorry. I, I really am. I, I mean that. And, and I'm, not sorry, um, I'm not sorry for preaching about boldness when it comes to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, I think where I, where I messed up was I was trying to show you the chaos that our culture is in. And I probably didn't do a good job of articulating it. I showed a graphic of some far left movements, and then I showed a graphic of some far right movements and Second Amendment. And, you know, and my goal was to, to try to articulate that, that when the disciples were asking Jesus, when are you going to set up your kingdom? It, it, it would have been the modern day equivalent in Williamson County of saying things like, when are you going to get the liberals? If, if, if it had been in Chicago, it might have been, when are you going to get the gun owners, Jesus? If it had been maybe somewhere in Colorado, the disciples would have said, Jesus, when are you going to, or California, when are you going to help us with sustainability and green practices? And Jesus was like, I'm not doing any of that. That's not why I came. Jesus' point was that I'm going around all that because politics is always going to be around and give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Figure it out among yourselves. But your biggest issue is that you've got a sin problem. That's the biggest issue you're ever going to face. And so, so if, I, if I confused you on that, um, well, I didn't mean to. But, but it, it doesn't nullify the point that that evangelical and evangelical politics in the last 20 years have gotten really blurred. And, you know, Jesus just isn't a political party. Notice he, he never took a side on that stuff. There's bigger issues at stake. And so, that, but that, let me tell you, that can be a real dividing line among the people of God and the issues at hand. I think, I think another place that we're going to see it, and this is just me looking out for the next X number of years till the Lord splits the sky, I, I really believe you're going to see another dividing place in the, in the body of Christ. And, and, and it's not just in one area. I can tell you why it's going to happen. Because I think that what, what I'm going to say is cultural chaos is, is going to be the new normal. If you're not already picking up on that, cultural chaos, and that may be political chaos, it may be, uh, it can be everything from capitalism versus socialism, it can be everything from sexual identity, uh, it, it can be everything from the assault on free speech, all of that kind of environment is what I'm trying to say. That environment is going to be the new normal. And so if history is any indicator, and this is where it's important that you Listen to what I'm saying. If history is any indicator, meaning what's happened in the centuries past, one of the tendencies that God's people have had in history is to turn on themselves, is to divide themselves. And you guys, please understand, we have so much more in common than we have that puts us apart. 
We have so much in common as the people of God. We really do. But it's going to get harder and harder and harder as, as principalities push down on us. You know, Jesus prayed in, in John, I think it was John 17. He prayed that we wouldn't be taken out of the world. He, he needs us in the world. He prayed that we would be kept from the evil one. You see, division, and by the way, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not speaking on this um, in, times of, uh, in times where Clearview is divided. Let me tell you something about Clearview, man. If you're a guest and you're watching at home, our church is experiencing a, a lot of harmony. Man, the Lord has really put a lot of harmony. So you know what? It's in times of harmony that I'm going to preach on preservation of it until we get in all these places that we go and we can, and then we got all this stuff going on. Right now, man, our body is really unified. But I'm telling you, as time goes on, as cultural chaos spins the narrative and, and, and all of these different things happening in our society, we have a tendency historically in the church of Jesus to turn on ourselves because it's actually not cultural chaos. The Bible is very clear that we live in a world that is, that is infused with principalities, darknesses of all sorts. There's all sorts of darkness. There's all sorts of worldviews. And so we have to learn how to navigate that. And so today, I'm going to talk to you about what I'm just going to tell you of why it matters. We all know that God's called us to be unified and be one. But I don't know if we know why. I want to talk about why. Now, I could give you a ton of reasons, but, but I'm going to talk to you first about why. And, and I've got some scriptures that you're just going to have to write down and go back and look to them in, a, in maybe a little bit later. But I put them on the screen for you. So here's why oneness matters. So that we don't turn on ourselves as culture presses down on us, asking us to compromise what we know to be biblically true. I would say the first truth about why oneness matters is that oneness is God's neon sign proving our salvation. Oneness is God's neon sign. It's like the Krispy Kreme, you know? Don't tell me there's nobody in this room who's never filed an insurance claim because you took a wrong turn trying to get when the red light hit on me and they were warm and hot, okay? You know it, right? You just don't want to admit it. It's okay. We've all done it at some point, right? Well, oneness is God's neon sign. It, look, look at what Jesus said. Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you that you also love one another. That's not a suggestion. That's a commandment. And by this, by what? By our love for one another, all mankind, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We'll flip it. Take the inverse. All the world will not know that you're my disciples if you do not have love for one another. So oneness is actually God's neon sign to the world. Saying, no, wow, they, they really do love each other. I mean, like, massively. It shows up. When, they walk, when I walk in, I can tell they actually do care about each other. By the way, I, um, uh, you remember Bill Hall, the, 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 the newsman? He's, uh, I remember him since I was this big. And, and I remember one time he was doing this big survey years and years and years ago. And he called our church and he was saying, hey, um, tell me what your church is known for. And somebody told him love. He said, I don't want to hear that. He said, everybody says that. Everybody says that. And, the, and he was right. I mean, I've never heard anybody say, what's your church known for? I'm going to tell you what, we punch each other four times a week right on the nose. You know, there's some churches that do that. Okay, this isn't one of them. 
No, everybody thinks they love it. But let me tell you, we talk about loving each other far better than we actually do it. That's the truth. And so if we don't do this right, the whole world, that neon sign goes off. It, it turns off. So just know that, that is, that's one of the reasons that the truth is, is that, that it is God's neon sign. But there's another reason I think oneness matters. And I would say that oneness is really about unity, not about uniformity. This is a big deal. Now, I told you we were going to be in Ephesians, all right? This is a really big deal because I think these, get, these two things get confused. Unity is not uniformity. So here's what's happening in Ephesians. Paul's talking about the spiritual gifts inside the church. See, let me tell you something. If you're kind of new to Christ or maybe you're in investigating Christianity or maybe you haven't had a chance to, to read the scriptures a whole lot yet, the Bible says that when you came to Christ, you were given spiritual gifts. Now, these aren't talents. Like I've even heard Christians say, man, boy, he, he's just got the talent of, he's got the spiritual gift of like swimming like competitively. No, that's just a lot of practice and good nutrition. All right. I mean, that person may be, you know, know really good at that, but that's not a spiritual gift. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit actually gives you gifts, but it tells us why. So look at, look in uh, Ephesians 4 verse 11. It says, he gave some to be apostles, meaning not everybody, but some have the gift of being an apostle. Some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. And then he tells you why. For the equipping of the saints, I mean, that means that he means to, to coach you up, the, the holy ones. The Bible calls you a holy one. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service. Spiritual gifts, that is, in verse 12, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith. And the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And as a result, that is... Because we exercise our gifts, we're no longer to be children, verse 14 says, tossed about here and there by waves and carried away by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. I mean, just find your gift and use it, is what he's saying. And then in verse 16, this is a really important verse. This is why spiritual gifts matter so much in the unity of them. For whom the whole body, he means like he's giving you an example of the human body. For the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. Causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Let me, let me break that down and put that into modern day understanding for you. What he's saying is, just like the human body, the thumb matters. One time I had a family member that lost their uh, little finger in a work-related accident. And just a little finger was gone. He said, I never realized how much balance my hand had till that, I mean, that thing was gone. My hand was out of balance forever. You wouldn't think much of your little finger until you lose it, right? He's saying, you know, that some of you may not see yourself as a big part. And you know what? None of us are all the body, but we have different parts, different joints. And he's saying that that is all meant so the body can function. But the, the reality is the hand is different from the, from the shoulder joint, you know, and, and the, the, the hip joint is far different from the eyeball, and they serve different roles and different capacities. That's why we talk so much about you discovering your calling. You hear us talk about it all the time. God, God made you for a reason, and if you don't discover that reason, and if you do not pursue your calling, guess what? Not only do you miss the reason that God put you on the planet, we suffer. We actually suffer if you're a spectator. 
The body of Christ suffers if you're a spectator. People's eternity is at stake in, in what we do. And so it's, it's really about us understanding our role. Is, but it's not about us being the same kind of person. Let me tell you something. I see this in marriage all the time, right? You know, how many times have you, and some of you, I'm not going to ask for a showing of hands, but I'm going to tell you, the vast majority of people that I know are married to the exact opposite. I mean, it's like, it's, there you go. Yeah, me too. On paper, Michelle and I are a train wreck. I mean, really, like on paper, wow. I mean, all the way down to peanut butter, man. I open the cupboard and it's extra crunch. I'm like, who does that? Nobody does that. Only weird people eat that. Creamy peanut butter, it's the only way to go, you know? I mean, it's just, I mean, it's, it, we are so different. And, and so here's the, the truth. The truth is, you know, everybody tells you that opposites attract. That's so true. What I found out after about six months, opposites attack, right? And, and yeah, and then that gets real fun. Then you call your preacher. The problem was I was him, right? So yeah, so, so, but here's the thing. If both of you, listen to me, friends, if both of you were the same, one of you would be unnecessary right? If both of you were the same, one of you would be unnecessary. God, God needs us in the body. To, so it's not about us being unified as one robotic person. Unity is not uniformity. I, I, now, that, listen, let me tell you what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we tolerate sin. Oh, no. No, no, no. What it means is that within, if, if the body of Christ were a circle, Let's just, I want you to imagine in your mind a circle. And within that circle is a bunch of people. In that circle, we're going to look at some things differently politically. We're going to look at some things differently socially. We're going we're to look at different things different ways. But where we're never going to compromise is on biblical truth. Amen. We're never going to compromise biblical truth. Ever. Ever. I love what Adrian Rogers said. I heard him say this one time. I'm like, this is the coolest. It's so Adrian Rogers. Adrian Rogers said, I will not sacrifice conviction on the altar of compromise simply for the sake of unity. Man. I mean, that's why he was Adrian Rogers, man. He, he was a legendary preacher, if you don't know who he was. Man, and, and I, you know, he had this voice. Woo, 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 woo. I mean, he would, he would thunder you out, right? I used to wonder if he used to pull up at Sonic and go like, I'll have a number one. You know, but that's how he talked, you know. But he would, he would talk about this stuff, and, and he would come at you, and he, he was a master wordsmith. I will not sacrifice conviction on the altar of compromise simply for the sake of unity. What a masterful statement. Because what he's saying is, no, the truth is the truth. But let me tell you something, you guys. Within the body of Christ, we are so hard on each other. We are so hard on each other. And we make spiritual issues out of things that aren't spiritual at all. We really do. We make spiritual issues out of things that aren't spiritual at all. We are so hard on each other. So I, I don't want us to do that as, because as culture presses down and tries to get us to conform, historically, the church has turned on itself. We can't do that. But there's, there's more. Another truth, I think, of why oneness matters. I would say without oneness, our relationship with Jesus is incomplete. Without oneness, our relationship with Jesus is it's incomplete. And Jesus said so in John 17. Look at what Jesus said when he's praying. He's actually praying for the body to have oneness. And he says, 
The, he's, he's, he's asking God. He's, he's actually in the middle. Hey, listen, if Jesus is talking to the Father, you know what you need to do? Take a lot of notes, right? Take a lot of notes. If Jesus is praying, stop and listen. And he's asking God, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, just as we are one. That's you and me, God, you and me, Father. And I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and you've loved them even as you've loved me. Now look at that statement. He's praying for unity. Why? He says that they may be perfected. So let's flip it again. If we are not perfected in unity, we're not perfected in our relationship with the Lord. We're not. Let me tell you something. The truth of the matter is, the gospel, when you look at the gospel stories, the gospel is either confirmed or it's contradicted by our love for one another or our lack of it. The gospel is either confirmed or it is contradicted based on our ability to love one another. Let me tell you something, man. If... if we can talk Jesus all day. We can, we can have gospel conversations all day long. But let me tell you something. If our fellowship is full of jealousy, envy, backbiting, if our fellowship here at Clearview, if it's full of people that are just hard on each other, if it's, if it's full of people that are constantly at each other and strife, let me tell you something. Our gospel words are worthless words. It really are, because people can't see past it. Notice what I didn't say. I, love is not tolerance. You hear me say that all the time. Love is not tolerance. Not by today's definition. Love is love enough to speak the truth in love. But that doesn't mean, let me tell you, that doesn't mean that we aren't loving and if we're not loving and if we're, if we're not living out oneness with each other, well then we're not one in righteousness. It really matters. And I, I would say it all funnels down, though, to, to this one. You can put it all in a bucket, and this is the foundation of the bucket, is that without oneness, God is robbed of his glory. And that's where we're going to go to Romans 15. I told you we were going we to be there today. There's a really unique passage in Romans 15. I was reading through Romans in the last month, and it's interesting because I, I read this again. I'm like, man, I, that, that is such a good word, and I wasn't even planning on it fitting into this sermon, but boy, it just came to my mind again. You see, God is robbed of glory when we're not one with one another. So let me, let me tell you what's going on right here, okay? Let me kind of set you up the biblical context. What's happening, because you always, by the way, you always want to read the Bible in context. You can't just pick and choose things. It has to come from the scriptures, and, and you got to know the context of that story. And so the context was, there was some debate in the, the, the church in Rome over uh, meat and other things that were, that were devoted to idols. Can you eat the meat? Can you not? And, and, and they, these were cultural issues that people were struggling with. And so Paul addresses that, and he talks about making sure that we have the other person's conscience in mind as we live out our faith, right? Think of somebody else, not just yourself. But then he says something here that really struck me. 
as he's dealing with this issue of oneness within a specific church in Rome. Verse 5. He says, Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind, right, with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God of our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Now, look, look I, I kind of drew some green lines under there. Maybe you can see them, I don't know, but look, look how much the idea of oneness comes up. Same mind, one another, one accord, one voice, one another, all for the glory of God. So what, that, what that's about, to be of the same mind doesn't mean that we all think the same. That's not what he's saying. Listen, even at our, on our church staff, we set it up to where we all, we have different, we intentionally put ourselves in collaborate, collaborative moments all the time because I need people that think different than me. The, the, the most dangerous thing in the world is for any leader to surround himself with yes people. That is a train wreck waiting to happen. And so, so that's not that we all have the, the same mentality. No, but we understand we are committed to the same cause, the kingdom of God. And let me tell you, I struggled with this, man, early in my ministry career. I did, man. If, listen, I was the only normal person I knew. I'm not kidding. You know, I struggled with people that looked at, you know, things way different than me. And I was quick to say they need more faith. I did. Man, how dumb is that? I mean, I did. I, would, I, would, I, would, I, would, I, I never thought once that maybe I could be the problem. Of course not. I'm an only child. I can never be part of the problem. You know? Come on. He said, of the same mind, one another, so that with what? One accord. What's an accord? It means a common bond to a common cause. We have an accord. You and I have an accord. We're different people, but we're going the same direction. With what? One voice to glorify God. And look at that last sentence. Therefore, accept one another, as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. God, why does this matter? It matters because we're so, so, so hard on each other. We are so hard on each other. There's times I'm hard on you. You don't know it. But there's times I'm hard on you. And there's times you're hard on me. And, and, it, and it's just, it's, it's, we're not home yet. We're not in heaven yet. But I've noticed along my days in the body of Christ, man, it just seems like to me so often we put major emphasis on the minor things. We major on the minors all the time. When we've got a thousand things that bring us together and we've got two or three things that, that we really don't see eye to eye, and when we just choose to let those things tear us apart, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak to you about something and... and Look, you've heard me touch on this. You've heard me bring it up. You've heard me mention it at times. But this is what I know. I don't remember much of what I preach on by Wednesday. Self-confession. I got another sermon coming and I'm moving on. Which tells me if I can't remember it on Wednesday, you probably don't even remember it by tonight. All right. That's okay. Keeps me in a job. Right. Because you need me to keep bringing up. You know. But here's what I've learned. For people to grasp something, you have to continually talk about it. So I'm going to talk about it again because some of you haven't heard it yet. Oh, you've been around when I've said it, but you didn't hear it, right? You know, I, I know a lot of pastors in this county. 
and we meet about once every five to six weeks, and we have lunch, and sometimes there's 20 guys, and sometimes there's 30 guys, sometimes there's 40 guys. And we talk, and we, but mainly we, we pray for each other. I mean, it is really cool. It, it's really unique. And I, I put it on my calendar, and I try, I try to move everything to make those meetings because I need them. But I can tell you one of the biggest points of pain in Williamson County pastors, okay, and this would be true for Jason, by the way, there was, a, there was a term that was used when, when I was younger in ministry and used to hear pastors say it this way, that the church's back door is bigger than the front door. And that was usually a reference to discipleship. We had, we had a big front door with evangelism, but the back door was wide open because we didn't disciple people. Well, that was then. Let me tell you what I would say now. I wouldn't use the phrase, the back door is bigger than the front door. I would In, in Williamson County, I would use the the metaphor or the word picture of the church is a revolving door. It really is. And one of the greatest points of pain that I hear pastors heartbroken over is that people just bounce constantly. I mean constantly. I was with a pastor not long ago. He's from, he's from Murray County, and the guy was in tears. And he wasn't in tears because this couple was leaving his church. He's, let me tell you, we've all grown used to that by now. He was in tears because he's like, man, I have walked with that guy and poured into that guy's life, and I have walked beside him. And it's not about loyalty. It's the fact that they're just sideways over the dumbest thing. And his heart was broke because let me tell you what ends up happening, by the way. More often than not, what people are running from isn't often something going on in your church. Something's going on in their marriage. Something's going on with their kids. Or they're hurting. Or they don't want to deal with an issue that you're dealing with. And they don't want to deal with it. Sometimes, and so they just run. And often, you know where they run? They run home. They don't run to the next church. More often than not, they just don't go anywhere. And one of the heartbreaks that I have in the body of Christ is that if you lined up I mean, if you lined up the, the churches in Williamson County from John Stearns at Vineyard and, 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 and Mike at Brentwood and Lloyd at Fellowship and Darren at Conduit and, and Mark Rampula down in, in Spring Hill, and I could just keep going with all our, If you lined us all up, our theology, it is pretty much the same. I mean, it really is. So all you're going to do is get more of what you got wherever you came from until you get mad about something else, then you're going to leave there too. And so by the time you die, eight of us need to do your funeral because we've all been your pastor at some point. I mean, really? Now, look, if it's a matter of heresy, yes. If it's a matter of heresy, well, I will not sacrifice conviction on the altar of compromise just for the sake of unity. If it's a matter of heresy. But more often than not, it's a matter of preference. It's a matter of preference. You know, that's why I love one of the things about Clearview. Man, I look out, and uh, he, he doesn't want me to point this out, but I saw a minute ago, I saw Kevin Kelly. Somewhere. Where's Kevin? Kevin's over there somewhere. Don't duck Kevin. There's Kevin. Yeah, I, 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 see, I see the Kellys, and they're just one small example. There's so many people. You have endured 
pastor after pastor, weirdness after weirdness. I could call many of you names. I saw Kevin many I look at people out in, in our congregation, and I could list so many, hundreds of y'all, and I'm like so thankful that you guys, man, you stayed in the fight, and, and you're, you just, you're, you're, you're kingdom builders. And that's what I want to be like when I get older. That's what I want to be like. I want to be a kingdom builder. I really do. And yet what, what's heartbreaking for me in, 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 in our county is that, that many times, and you know what? Truth be told, I, 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 can, I can make the same mistakes. I really can. I'm not saying that to make you feel better about yourself. I have no problem preaching at you. I do it all the time. Um, that's a pretty good joke. You didn't laugh, but it's okay. But I really do do things like this. You know, I can, be, I can have preferences too. But I want to say to you, if you're watching from another state, you're thinking about moving to Franklin because a lot of people are, I want to tell you something. When I tell you that we are far from a perfect church, I can save you a lot of heartache for those of you watching on live stream. Come find me. I will list to you where we don't have it together right now. Because there's a list. There is. There's always going to be a list. You're, you're never going to get everything you want. And by the way, there's nothing in the Bible that says you should. You're just never going to get everything you want. There, there is no, no such thing as a perfect body of Christ. If it's a matter of heresy, yeah, you know what you need to do? You don't need to bolt. You need to confront me. That's the first thing you need to do. If it's a matter of actual heresy, you need to come to me. You don't need to go somewhere else. But, but the truth is, that's not what people do. People, people just move around. And it's not about us losing attendance. It's about the fact that this, we are the people of God. And you know what we end up doing? We're not winning people to Jesus, man. We're swapping sheep left and right. Just swapping sheep. And I want to tell you something about as a, as a guy who's a shepherd, okay? Uh, we're all, guys in my line of work, we are shepherds. Let me tell you something about sheep. Sheep farmers, sheep smell. And sheep farmers smell. You ever been around a pig farmer? Not a, not a good for a Jew, but you ever, you, ever, you ever been around a pig farmer? You know who's a pig farmer. They smell like pigs. You know why? They walk among the pigs. We're all sheep. We're all sheep. I smell like a sheep too. We're not home yet. Amen? We're not home yet. And I don't understand why we constantly try to act as if we should be home. We expect, we have expectations that nobody can hit. We are so hard on each other. We are so hard on each other. Let me tell you why this ends up coming home in ways that you may not see it. Let me tell you why this matters, maybe even a little more than you realize. When, when you have a bad church experience, you know what? Be around church long enough. I don't care what denomination it is. Be in a church with other sheep long enough and you are going to have a bad experience, period. And when you do, you're going to be wounded because that's what we do. We wound each other. I wound you sometimes and sometimes you wound me. That's the truth. It really is. But one of the things we do is we carry those wounds with us. And when, when you get sideways with another Christian, 
It may not even be another Christian in this body. You might be sideways with somebody that used to be in this body. You might be sideways with somebody that was, when you were 25, 30 years old, and somebody hurt you, or or somebody in the church hurt you, and so it, it messed up the way you looked at it. And let me tell you what happens, though. Here's what I've learned about the devil. The devil loves for you to get wounded, because you know what he's going to do? He's going to sink that wound deep into your spiritual marrow. And hurting people always hurt other people. Hurting people hurt people. And they get angry. And so for the next 20 years, you don't know why you've always had this thing about worship pastors. It's because when you were a kid, your worship pastor didn't let you play the drums the day you wanted to. You've always had this thing about Christian coaches because at the Christian school you went to, they cut you from the soccer team, and all of a sudden now you've got this rub, and it goes deep into your marrow, and you don't realize what the enemy is doing right there. The enemy is setting you up, and he will use pain. You know why? Because the pain had a face and a name. But let me tell you what happens to the body of Christ. Hebrews 10.25 says it this way. Hebrews, yeah, look after each other so that no one of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Do you realize that if you've got a hard heart or you've got a place of pain and agitation Or if you've got a place where you're not happy, let me tell you something I've learned about bitterness. Let me start before that. Let me tell you something I've learned about pain. Pain will not self-correct. Pain will become bitterness. And you know what bitterness will come? Resentment. And resentment will become anger. And then you defile many. Think about how many of you grew up with somebody in your household, maybe a dad, that was just angry. Did the whole family deal with it? You bet. How many of you have worked with somebody that their general mood was just mad? Don't raise your hands. All of us have that person. You're thinking of them right now. Glory to God, forgive us. How many of you have worked with somebody who's just chronically agitated? Do they twist up and jack up your corporate culture? Yes, 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 and yes. They do. Because they're hurting. And hurting people hurt other people. So in the body of Christ, today, here's what we're going to pray. You say, Jason, what do we do with all this? I mean, I know it matters. What do we do with all this? Let me tell you something. There's some of you in here today. Zach and Alexis are going to come out here. Musicians are going to come out. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to open up this altar. You don't have to come pray with me if you just need to pray by yourself. Here's what we're going to do. There's some of you that you just need to forgive somebody. I mean, you really do. Some of you need to forgive somebody that used to go to Clearview. Some of you might need to forgive somebody that's still at Clearview, and they don't even know you're mad or hurt. 
But let me tell you why this matters to me so much. You guys, we can ask the God of heaven to give us Franklin all we want. But if we don't get it right like this, he's not going to get it right like that. He's not. Because the whole world's going to see you're my disciples if you love each other. And if you don't, they're not going to see. And his glory, by the way, I don't know if you've ever learned much about God. His glory matters to him. His glory matters. He's not letting anybody rob his glory. So today, some of you in here, you need to forgive somebody. Say, Jason, why do I need to come down here to do that? I'll tell you why. Because there's something, listen, there is something, there's something of spiritual closure that happens when you leave one life. Just like Kristen up there a while ago, she, she showed a symbolic leaving of one life and going into a new life. There's something about saying, I am going to go down there, and it may take me a month, but I'm going to be able to point back five years from now, I stopped hating my dad that day. It took me years, but that was the day it started. I don't want to defile many. Look at that verse. Do you think that doesn't apply to you? Do you think you're above that? Do you think you're exempt from growing up to defile? You're not. Do you know all the time, I check my heart all the time. I do, man. I say, God, if I'm mad at this person or if I'm upset, it may have nothing to do with church. It could be sports. It could be family. It could be anything. I am super sensitive to anger because I know what the devil can do with it. He really can. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if, if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter, but sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world to sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.